of verses 1 through 11 of chapter 11. This is the word of the Lord. When I was a child, I loved him. Out of Egypt, I called my son. The more they were called, the more they went away. They kept sacrificing to Baals and burning offerings to idols. Yet, yet it was I also who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them up by their arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I led them with cords of kindness, with bands of love. I became to them as one who eases the yoke on their jaws, and I bent down to them and fed them. They shall not return to the land of Egypt, but Assyria shall be their king, because they have refused to return to me. The sword shall rage against their cities, consume their bars of their gates, and devour them because of their own counsels. My people are bent on turning away from me, and though they call out to the Most High, he shall not raise them up at all. How can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I treat you like Zeboim? My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. I will not execute my burning anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim. For I am God and not man, the Holy One in your midst. And I will not come in wrath. They shall go after the Lord, and he will roar like a lion when he roars. His children shall come trembling from the west. They shall come trembling like birds from Egypt and like doves from the land of Assyria. And I will return them to their homes, declares the Lord. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Being a father is probably the most challenging thing I've done in the whole of my life. It's not easy. There's so much insecurity, I think, that comes with being a parent. You want to raise your kids right? You want to do it, though, without messing them up, right? You want to teach them right from wrong? You want to teach them about God and faith? And, and sadly, you lay down plans, you put things in place, and it never goes the way you want it to go. It just never does. And there are two glaring problems in parenting. And the first is, I'm a great sinner, and I make mistakes. And the second is, my children are great sinners, and they make great mistakes. And so we have two groups of sinners who are warring at times with each other. As children, even as I look at my children, I consider myself as a child, we're often choosing the wrong things to do. We're instructed to do certain things, clean your room, don't run in the hallways, don't hit your sister, and we fail at times. My child might be thinking, I'm talking about her, I'm talking about myself, as I was a child, and I often didn't clean my room, I often didn't continue to run in the house, and I often hit my sister. We fail, and we upset our parents, and this sometimes would bring punishment, and the purpose of punishment was to bring us back into conformity with our parents' rules, to show us what we had done wrong, to teach us not to do it again. But sadly, again, as children, we are often like mules, stubborn, not wanting to bend, not wanting to give. It was true when I was a child. I'm sure it was true when y'all were children. 
and it's still true for children today. But I think being a parent now, the thing that I never understood as a child was how much my parents anguished over me. You don't understand that until your parent, how much your children, you anguish over your children because you want the best for them. You raise them so that they can learn that. And yet, as you're trying to impart, even sinfully, what you think's best for them, they fight you at every turn thinking they know what's best for them. The old saying, as we punish our children, we often hear it said, and I've said it, and I'm sure my children don't believe me, this hurts you more than it hurts me. You've heard that said, right? And as a child, I was always like, that's not possible. My parents had this wooden stick that was about this long. I said, because you're hitting me with a wooden stick, this definitely hurts me more than it hurts you. But there is an anguish, an inner anguish, not only over the punishment, but over the hard-heartedness of our children. To know that we must punish our children in a certain way to bring them into obedience. And this is, in a nutshell, what God, or how God is describing his relationship with Israel here. God looked upon Israel, his child. He loves them. He cares for them. He called them to be his own. And yet... They live in rebellion and disobedience. And there's a sense here, even in our text today, where it talks about the heart of God. It breaks his heart. Now, of course, this is not a literal. Throughout Old Testament, we have what we like to call anthropomorphisms, right? Where we attribute uh, things we can understand about ourselves to God. He must bring punishment to his people in order to return them. But the wonderful, beautiful truth that we even see here in the midst of Hosea is that's not the end of the conversation. Punishment comes, but so does mercy. And here's the wonderful, beautiful truth, and I hope that you hear it, and I hope that uh, even my child who's sitting in here hears it today. God, as your father, will not disappoint you. While I may punish incorrectly, while you may have punished your children incorrectly, while you who are in here who don't yet have children will certainly, if you have children, punish them incorrectly, God as our Father does not make mistakes. He does not err in punishment. He brings us exactly what we need. (laughs) So as we come to our text this morning, we're going to see three things. The love of Yahweh, the disobedience of a child, And the compassion of a father, the love of Yahweh, the disobedience of a child, and the compassion of a father. As we begin here, we see the love of Yahweh, and you might be saying, finally, after weeks and weeks of judgment, we finally are getting something that seems positive. And Hosea does, he certainly begins with this familial metaphor. When Israel was a child... I loved him. There's this sense in which through Hosea, God is speaking to the people. When Israel was a child, I loved him. I called him out of Egypt. I called him my son out of Egypt. It's a household language. He bound himself to the people in this electing love. And Israel came 
following their father, entering into this covenant with them. And they received privileges as adopted children, and they were to come. He had chosen them to be his own. And yet, and yet, they failed. They kept sacrificing to Baals and burning offerings to idols. Because the thing about this is this was not a one-time event. God had been calling Israel since he called them, and it goes back even before Egypt, even if we just started Egypt, he'd been calling them, and he'd been calling them over and over again and over and over again. They failed. Hosea's generation was not the first to engage in disobedience. It certainly would not be the last. And as they went before Yahweh, they sinned against him. They chose the world and idols instead of him. And, and just think about the image that's being used here. God comes as father. He says, I come to protect. I come to call you. You are my own. And the child comes and says, yeah, that's well and good. But I want, I want that over there. It's really heartbreaking, this familial relationship. And the child looks to the parent and says, you know, I, I, you're not good enough for me. I'm going to go after somebody else, something else. They offered sacrifices to Baals. They burned incense to idols. They've turned their back on God, moving from him. Just as Gomer, at the beginning of the book, uh, was married to Hosea, who loved her and came to her, and she went after others. Israel violated its sonship through similar activities. But what does God do in response to this? As Israel flees to other things, what was God's response? Yet, verse 3, it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them up by the arms, but they did not know I healed them. I love this image here. I wasn't there as the girls got to walk, but as Josiah began to walk, you know this taking up by the arms, right? As you hold their arms, you're like, come on, take that step. This is how God is with us, he, with Israel. He took Israel up by the arms. He taught them. He says, I healed them. And they didn't even know it. This language of healing, it's language of teaching and restoring. He said, this is how I loved them as my child. I, I, I brought them along. I sought to keep them on the right path. I led them with cords of kindness, verse 4. With bands of love, I became to them as one who eases the yoke on their jaw. I bent down to them and fed them. This image that he's painting here of the love, you, you think of literally the love of a parent for a child. I wrapped them in my love. I protected them. I fed them. He bends down. He condescends to them. How different. How different are we from Israel? 
In the New Testament, as we see into the era of Christ, as we consider Christ's incarnation, as we consider what he's done, uh, we, we say that we, through Christ, are adopted as sons and daughters. We look to him as the same father. That's why we can say our father who art in heaven. Yet much like Israel, as we have our father lifting us up, bringing us along, we often take our eyes off. I want this. I want this thing more than I want you. And God at times brings judgment, punishment on his people. Not ultimate judgment, but chastisement that is meant to bring us into conformity with his will. And the question for Israel is, they're reading through or hearing Hosea teach this. And the question for us is, how will we respond to the chastisement of our God? Sadly, sometimes we respond with kicking and screaming. You will not do this. I am not going to do what you say. We dig our heels in and we fight against it. When he brings to us inward conviction, when he brings it either through his word or through someone else, how often might someone come to you and say, I I think you're living in sin and I think you're doing this wrong. And what is our immediate response? Let me tell you why you're wrong. Let me tell you why I'm not wrong. That's me anyway. I don't know about you. We dig in our heels and our arrogance and pride. We're not willing to take the chastisement of God. We're not willing to change how we act or think. And we cannot be like Israel. We cannot fail to heed the warning of God. We can't be like a disobedient child. This is our second point, the disobedience of a child. Starting in verse 5, he says, they shall not return to the land of Egypt. So he's saying, you're not going to go back to Egypt, but Assyria is coming for you. Judgment is coming. It is a foregone conclusion because you have refused to listen to me, in essence, to return to me. There is a a punishment coming upon you for your disobedience. Verse 6, the sword shall rage against their cities and consume the bars of their gates. It's a warfare coming upon the city. They will devour them because of their own counsels. My people are bent on turning away from me. And though they call out for the Most High, he shall not raise them up at all. Assyria is coming. This punishment, this chastisement is coming upon the people. They got hung up in their scheming. So judgment will come. Oftentimes, judgment, punishment, is a foregone conclusion. There are times I know as a child, and I'm sure my children and others, you get in trouble, and the first thing, I'm sorry. 
And you look at him and go, I, I appreciate that you're sorry. But you're still going to be punished. Sometimes punishment is a foregone conclusion. It doesn't make it okay. Now that you feel sorry, it's, we can know this in a practical sense, right? You can commit a crime. Well, you, you, there's an old saying, right? You commit a crime, do the time. You can commit a crime. You can even commit a heinous crime, maybe, maybe in a fit of rage or passion or something. You murder someone, and afterwards, you can feel miserable and terrible and remorseful. But guess what? You still did something that has to be punished for. And the question is this. Are we living in rebellion? Are we so dug in to our thoughts, our plans, and how we think our life should be, and how the lives of everyone else around us should be, that we have the plan set in place that we will not budge? Are we failing to be obedient to what God would have us do? Are we concerned with our own priorities, our own pleasures, our own plans? Because here's the thing, God tells us how he would have us live. Israel knew what they were to do to be obedient to God. And we could go throughout the whole scripture and, and, and get this, but we can boil it down to two things really, right? That's what Jesus did. Love God with all your heart, heart soul, mind, and strength. First four or five commandments. Second five or six, five to ten commandments. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love God, love neighbor. That's God's will for you. How are you doing? Are you being obedient to his word? Are you being obedient to his will? Are you loving him and loving one another? And the problem comes like this. As we consider the church today, as we try to bring Hosea to today, the problem is this. As you look around this room and you see However many people we have in here, the problem is we have just as many personalities in here as we have people, right? And we come together as the church and we're called to love one another. You go home into your neighborhoods and here's the thing. You have just as many personalities as you have people around you. You go to work and you're called to love these people. And we have to remember that we cannot hold ourselves above others. Are we judging others for their personality, for their taste, for the way they think? We cannot continue to do this, to disobey the will of God. And if we continue to do so, it'll bring punishment. We have to follow and obey him. But here's the wonderful, beautiful thing in Hosea chapter 11. That even as he says there is a punishment coming upon Israel, then we see verse 8. I'm going to read verse 8 for you. And I want you to either insert your own parent or parental figure or insert yourself even as you would think of your child as they're living in rebellion. Listen to these words as a father crying out. How can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I treat you like Zeboim? My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. Okay, to Ephraim, Israel, same group. And, he, and there's just God as he is 
just announced judgment. Assyria is going to come. They're going to wail against your wall with swords. They're going to take you off into exile. And then he, there's this lament almost by God. How can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I give you up, Israel? Adma and Zeboim are two cities. They're mentioned four other times in scripture. Each every four times they're mentioned in conjunction with Sodom and Gomorrah. They were to be destroyed together with Sodom and Gomorrah. And he says, in essence, how could I destroy you like these places? And again, we see a, a personification of God here, right? My heart recoils within me. It's almost as if they're saying God has a change of heart. Of course, God doesn't have a change of heart, right? This is, this is meant to show us. Uh, so we can understand my heart recoils within me. I have compassion. My compassion grows warm and tender. And we see the love of a father for his wayward son. The future of his children is at stake. What will come of his nation? And the answer to this is the compassion of God his compassion will come upon them verse 10 they shall not go no verse 9 excuse me I will not execute my burning anger I will not again destroy Ephraim it's parallel statements here I'm not going to execute my anger I won't destroy them for I am God and not man the holy one in your midst and I will not come in wrath. It's this wonderful message of compassion. I, my burn, I will not execute my ultimate judgment against you, Ephraim. Because I'm not like you. It's this is a wonderful thing. I'm God, not man. It's a wonderful thing that we can come to our God and say, He is God. Not man. He is not fallen and frail like we are. He is not sinful and wicked like we are. He is the Holy One in our midst. He will not make an ultimate end to Israel. Verse 10 They shall go after the Lord, and he will roar like a lion when he roars, and his children shall come trembling from the west. They shall come trembling like birds from Egypt. And like doves from the land of Assyria. We as the people of God are called two things here. Children and birds. Problem with children and birds for the, the whole part is they are not uh, creatures that are full of might and power, are they? He says, I'm going to roar like a lion. And in trembling, you will return to me. He will call forth for his people and they will return to him. And I will return them to their homes, declares the Lord. Thankfully, at the end of it all, we see the compassion of God. Because here's the wonderful, beautiful truth this morning for you. It doesn't matter how much you've messed up. 
It doesn't matter the number of the mistakes that you have made or continue to make. It doesn't matter how bad you think you are. If you're sitting there saying to yourself, God could not love me. And the answer is no. God's grace and mercy is enough for you. He can restore you, not based upon your own strength, but based upon his strength. In this season, as we consider the incarnation, that is God's compassion on us as a people. Jesus, the Son of God, become man for us. He looks upon his people and has compassion and sends his son that we might have ultimate restoration. So we must turn to him, surrendering all of ourselves to him, keeping nothing back for ourselves. And that is the hard part, isn't it? You know, I know as a father, and I know when I was a child, those moments where either you or your children are giving you somewhat of a lip service. What do I need to say at this point to get them to shut up? I'm tired of them telling me how I did wrong. I'm tired of them correcting me and telling me how I'm going to be punished. I want them to just leave me alone now. And the sad part is we do the same thing with God. I'm tired of the conviction that you're bringing. I'm tired of this punishment that you're bringing. What do I need to tell you so that you'll just shut up? And you're like, did you just talk about telling God to shut up? Yeah, and we don't say that out loud, right? But that's the heart, right? That's our heart saying, God, just enough is enough. Just leave me alone. Yes, you're still my God, but I don't need any more of this. We cannot keep anything back for ourselves. We must surrender all of ourselves to him. But as we do so, look, consider even as we have in this chapter, how your father looks upon you. How can I? As he looks upon us, he goes, how can I, even in spite of their sinfulness, how can I not restore them because I love them? Not because he has to, because he chooses to. And it's a wondrous wondrous thing know that God is your father that he loves you that that love does not end that he has entered into relationship with you that he has called you son and daughter and yes discipline may come he'll bring us out of rebellion he'll bring us into obedience but he is also a God of compassion that even in our rebellion, he loves us and brings us. Even if it means he brings us through punishment. Because notice, where was Israel when he called them? Assyria. They were in Assyria, that mark of punishment, weren't they? But he still calls them, come, come home. And it, he doesn't call like a, doesn't say here he called them sweetly and tenderly, does it? says he called him like a roaring lion. You remember those times when your mom comes out on the porch and you're out down the road, it's time to come home, like a roaring lion. 
comes like a roaring lion. He calls us and we come. We get to come to this table. And this table is representative of that calling, isn't it? He's called us home through the blood of his son. He reconciled us through his body broken and blood poured out. In this season where we come and celebrate Christmas, which we love and I love, let us be reminded that what it's all about is about him. About in our rebellion, him coming in compassion and loving us in spite of our sinfulness. Let that be the focus of our hearts. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come in faith and obedience, repentance, I should say, as we're confronted with God. Thank you for your compassion. Thank you for your chastisement. Would you call us in accordance with your will in all that we do? Would we seek you, our loving Father, we pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen.